0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Getting Over is back, we are two weeks away from the 2021 Royal Rumble, and we are here to break down... Everything that happened over the last few days on SmackDown and then Raw. SmackDown gets first billing on the show, not only because it happened first, but let's just be honest, it is the far better show week to week. We do have an absolutely loaded show, as we always do here on Getting Over. And look, I don't want to waste too much time getting to it, so let's not waste any time. You know we got to take care of business right off the top. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. If you want, you can follow the Silver King individually at Silverstein Adam, And you can follow our WWE co-host Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini. Chris, our college football season has come to an end. I feel relaxed, rejuvenated. I will tell you, Sunday night going into Monday, I don't know the last time I have slept that way. I had nothing on my mind. I didn't have to think about like work or, or really any other responsibilities other than just like wake up and have a nice week.
1: And it was refreshing for me. I have yeah, to say. I slept in until like 11 on Saturday and then 10 on Sunday. Oh. Um, but and then you and I got into it a little bit on Twitter over the NFL games later on. On Sunday, some people wanted us to talk about it here on the pod. I don't know if we have enough time or not. We can talk about
0: uh, it. We can talk about it. Once again, Chris is wrong and
1: the Silver uh, King's right. I mean, I don't know. What else do we need to talk about? Well, let's get into it here. Let's explain it real quick. So the NFL, so football has the rule. If you fumble forward and it goes out of bounds in in the end zone, if it's out of the end zone on the side, if you're on offense, if you're on offense, you you fumble it forward out of bounds. It's a defensive touchback defense gets the ball back. I think it's the dumbest rule in football because no other forward fumble works like that every forward fumble goes back to the line of sc- every forward fumble out of bounds goes back to the line of scrimmage held by uh held by the offense it, to me it makes no sense because the defense didn't actually accomplish anything in the end zone. I don't think it should it happened in the browns chiefs game it ended up being a Huge play. Browns might have won if they if they get the ball back there. Instead, the Chiefs got the ball, end up winning the game. We were in very disagree. I dis- so- think it's the dumbest so- rule in football you like to rule, though. I-, I have zero issue.
0: I don't think it's necessarily the best rule in football, but I-, I see zero issue with it. The end zone is a special territory on the football field. Special things happen in the end zone. You can get touchdowns. You can get safeties. You can get touchbacks, and you can lose the ball defensively. If you fumble the ball backwards from the 10 and you you recover it at the six, you lose the yardage. If you fumble the ball backwards at the six into the end zone and it gets kicked out of the end zone, the other team gets a safety. So just like that, where it goes out of the end zone, you get a safety. If You do it the other way. They're not costing you points, but you lose possession of the ball because you were careless enough to lose the football through the other team's end zone. It's a special territory on the field. So things that happen in the end zone aren't the same as what happened between the two goal lines. Therefore, yes, there can be a special rule there. It's been, it is the rule. It's been the rule forever. And I just think people get angry at it because it's inconvenient and people like points. So when you're watching a playoff game and you see you want a team to score, you want it to be a close game, you want them to go back and forth and you see the ball fumble through the end zone, everyone gets up in arms because, oh my God, we didn't have points scored on this possession. Well, It sucks. You know what? You've played, and I say you, I'm talking about the players and the coaches. You guys have played and coached football your entire lives. You know what the rule is. The rule is don't fumble the ball through the end zone. If you're running and and you're going to that pylon and you think that there's a chance you're not going to get there, don't outstretch your arms so that you lose the ball at the half yard line and it goes through the end zone. It's literally the rule. You need to know better as a player and you need to not fumble. And if you do, and it happens to not just go into the end zone, but go out of bounds You know, to the, either the sidelines or the back of the end zone, then your team loses possession. Sucks for you as a player. Sucks for you as a team. Me as a fan watching, it's the rule. I don't give
1: a shit. Simple as that. We'll wrap it up here. But 100%, I agree, should not be reaching like that. You know the rule. He shouldn't do it. He shouldn't fumble, et cetera. My only issue is that the rule doesn't make sense in the context of Basically, everything else in the sport, it, it's its own separate anything that happens in an end zone, whether it's a touchdown, whether it's an interception or recovery, or if you're going backwards, whether it's a sack, if you fumble it backwards, whatever. If you fumble backwards, the line of scrimmage moves backwards no matter what. That's why it's a safety if it goes out your own end zone backwards. Every forward fumble comes the line of scrimmage does not move so it's just it's inconsistent with all other forward fumbles all backward fumbles are treated the same in the sport all okay but if but if it's, fumble, it if it's a backward fumble think about it this
0: way if it's a backward fumble through the end zone you not only get a safety you lose possession it's a double penalty right, if no. it goes the other way you only lose if it goes the other way you only lose possession it's actually it's actually more prohibitive and it penalizes you more for losing it that way and we're not just talking about losing the football if there is a holding in the end zone you Yeah get but a that you but, so, but, but, but you know happened, I think that's I think that's a far but worse the defense,
1: but, far but the defense but the holding world. happened in the end zone there was an action that led to the and the play. ball went through it a fumble out the end zone there was zero action by the defensive team in the end zone it just ball Bullshit! Bullshit! They tackled you and forced the fumble, and the ball that you didn't do anything in the end zone. If you get a safety on a sack or a fumble going backwards, on if you're on defense, but that's an offensive pen. I mean, that that's an offensive penalty. If if there's a defensive pi, if there's a
0: defensive pi or holding in the end zone, you don't get a touchdown. I mean, it's really, it's really uneven when you look at it both ways. And to say that that individual rule, my my issue is this: to say that singular individual rule is the worst rule when you have equally bad rules, let's say, just, you know, for comparison's sake, going the other way or other rules in the NFL that aren't very good or college football, any football. I think it's absurd to single that rule out when it's been part of the fabric of the game forever. It's it's. You know the rule, don't break yeah. it. And uh, not only do you know the rule, don't break it. It makes sense to me. I have no. See, issue. I, I don't. Th- I don't think Zero. it's the
1: worst rule. I think it's the dumbest rule. And I'll we'll just leave it at that. But just it, it doesn't make sense to me because it's the only forward fumble that's different from all other forward fumbles. When all backwards fumbles are treated the same, it's just it to me. It just doesn't no. Make sense. Except- it just doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense to me. That's all. It is.
0: We, we no. We don't have to keep <laughs> arguing. But it, it's not. I'm just saying it's not the only. Forward, like it is the only forward fumble that's different, but the only backward fumble that's different also is when you fumble out the back
1: of the end No, outside. because the line of scrimmage moves backwards when you fumble backwards, so the line of scrimmage. Oh, went out I'm, the back. come on! I mean, that's that's such a nit, That's such a nitpick. It's not the line of
0: scrimmage. Yeah. No one recovers the ball if you fumble it backwards. The line of scrimmage moves with the ball, no matter where it goes. But no one can recover. But no one recovers it when it goes out the back. Yeah, so of the, the line zone. of so You can bottom- say It has. just... But no, but no. Someone has to recover the ball, so you could say it's
1: just as much. No, if you if you fumble it, if it, it, you fumble backwards uh, at the at the fifteen yard line, you fumble it backwards. It goes out of bounds at the ten. The line of, that's to the the line of scrimmage line. goes back to the ten. That's what I'm saying. If it, that's the sign. yeah, no, I'm just saying the line of scrimmage moves backwards even if nobody recovers it. Okay, well, if the ball went out back, the back of the end zone, let's say on a kickoff or something,
0: you're getting the ball, at the but 20. you never had possession. You so why would you had at least you the never all the you one never again. had
1: possession? The offense never had possession.
0: Or uh, uh let me think uh, a punt if a punt rolls out the back of the
1: end zone. again you never had possession. Yeah, my, my point is, yeah, but it but again the end zone is a special again. We we agree we agree he shouldn't have reached for it. The coach even said he's not supposed to do that. It, don't reach don't for reach it. You know better zone. as you an know. NFL player. Is it a per? Is it a perfect
0: rule? No, I don't think it's the worst rule in football, and I don't think it's a bad rule, and I would not change it. You would change it. You don't like yes. Rule. It's very simple as that, but, but, but I think my bigger issue is not with people not liking the rule. Like I can, we can, I don't like, actually, you know what? I don't really like that. The NFL, you need two feet down when in college, you need one. I think get one foot. Let, you want offense, you want points, like go do that. But um, it's not so much that I, I care that people don't like the rule. I care that every time it happens, there's a cavalcade on, of Twitter on <laughs> this is the worst rule. The NFL should be ashamed of themselves. It's really not that bad. It's been a rule in football forever. Yes. Like, do you disagree with it, okay, maybe, but it's not the worst rule of all time when you I, I forgot if it was the same game or not, but you can't review a helmet to helmet hit it was the same yeah. play you can't review the hit that caused that right That's a far worse rule than actually applying the rule that's in the rule book so that's that's where we're gonna get out so ten minutes of football for those of you wondering what getting over football edition might look like between the silver king and Chris vanini, maybe this is why we talk about wrestling we seem to at least Agree a little bit more uh, on professional wrestling. But uh, I I, I mentioned how to follow us. Silver King at Silverston Adam. Vintage Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini. The show at Getting Overcast. I did not mention that you need to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review to let us know how much you love this damn show. Football takes or not. Hey, it's Oscar season's coming up soon. Maybe we'll get into some movie takes and entertainment, I think. That may be an area where Edge, we agree. Edge, Edge should be up for his
1: role in Money Plane. Talking about wrestling here. Edge Ed, Ed, Ed is a, good in Money Plane. Talk, talk about like
0: an F-list movie. <laughs> I, I mean, the whole – Edge was like – I don't want to say he was good, right? But he was totally acceptable yeah. for, the, for the quality of movie that it was.
1: Yeah, no, him and Kelsey Graham are great scenes together. Kelsey Graham. Oh my God. That movie. I, I don't know if people
0: have or have not seen that. My God, what a piece money of money like, for someone to actually for someone to actually create that movie, to write it, get it greenlit, for someone to pay for. Oh my God. Just ridiculous. Uh, but that movie does not deserve five stars. That's like a one and a half star movie. What does deserve five stars is the getting over wrestling podcast. And you can leave that rating on Apple Podcasts it would help us immensely and I would greatly appreciate it. Now Chris, before we get into the main event of today's show, WWE did make an announcement as it turns out Sunday during the NFL right before the the second game the night game. They announced the sites of the next three WrestleManias. So WrestleMania 37 this year in 2020 will be held in Tampa, Florida, April 10th and 11th once again two nights and WWE will allow some fans to be in attendance. We'll pause there before we talk about the other two. I, I think it's smart that they're going to do it outside at Raymond James stadium. The, you know, we're both, you and I are very cautious uh, in regards to COVID-19, but I think we have seen NFL and college football. And, and when I say college football, I don't mean <laughs> Texas A&M, which just doesn't give a shit. And has 70,000 people in its stadium and, and, Talk about a super spreader event, uh, but we're talking more like every other college where they had either no one or you know 20 to 25 percent capacity, very spaced out, most of the time, especially at least on the alumni side, people stayed together uh, and mask there were mask mandates, things like that. So Raymond James Stadium in Tampa is one of the stadiums where fans were allowed since it's in Florida. And from watching on TV, I thought they did an exceedingly good job. So knowing you're going to be in an NFL stadium, knowing you're going to be able to keep fans separate and follow those same protocols. WWE doesn't have to worry about creating their own protocols, dealing with indoor arenas. I am really happy they're doing WrestleMania outdoors. And I think it's okay that they're doing it over two nights because, look, what they're trying to do is say, if we can only have 25 percent capacity. If we do it over two nights. That gives us half our ticket revenue. At least that's their hope. Now, I don't even know if they're going to sell out the 25% capacity either night, but I am appreciative that they're going to try.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you would be getting double the ticket revenue by doing two nights, but you're also paying theoretically an extra day of using the stadium. So I don't know how all that
0: works. Or not. Me. I mean, they may have just said, hey, look, pay us one fee yeah, and we'll cover both. Be. Yeah, you who know? knows?
1: But yeah, no, it, it's, it's good. Um I think it's good that Tampa has it since they didn't get it last year. Um, Hopefully, you know, things go well. Like you said, we've seen it in football and other sports. Most places have done it well. Some places haven't. Uh, It's going to be an interesting feel, but I think it's going to be a a, a welcome feel uh, by then. It's just going to be nice to have a big
0: event and see fireworks like Pyro Outdoors and see that big set. And I don't even think we're going to notice the fans. In fact, I wouldn't be that surprised if WWE still pipes an audio for it because yeah. it's going to need to fill that vacant that vacant space. But just being able to see WrestleMania and like experience that is going to be nice. Now, the Silver King is not a big flyer. So Tampa, it's so close to me. Every year I would go. I don't know if I'm going to go this year, given the COVID situation. If I get the vaccine by then, maybe I would be more likely. I'm not really sure. But I want to be there. I just don't know if I can be. The next two, a bit far for me, not that far for you. WrestleMania 38 will take place in Dallas in 2022. That is right in your neck of the woods.
1: Yeah. And it's a change. It was going to be LA, but obviously they've moved things around because of this. I'm excited because I moved to Dallas like just a few months after WrestleMania happened here the first time. I think it was, I think it was oh, wow. 2016. So I missed it. I did go. Uh, to thirty. I did go to the next New Orleans one. So I've only been to one WrestleMania, I and mean, it was great. New Orleans was great. So this will be a different experience with it being at home. Uh, in in uh, I used to live 15 minutes from that stadium. Now I'm about 45 minutes. But uh, I'm excited. I mean, they they huge crowd last time it was here. I'm excited for WrestleMania, and, and presumably by then things will be back to normal and everything. So we'll get all the indie shows and everything else that comes with it. So I am fired up about another WrestleMania in Dallas.
0: Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I'm on a streak of four straight manias, I think, not counting last year, obviously. I'd really, I'd love to make it five at Tampa. I just, yeah. I just don't know if it's going to happen. One I will almost certainly not go to, though, will be WrestleMania 39 in 2023. That will be held in Los Angeles. That will be the Hollywood WrestleMania that we were supposed to get this year for WrestleMania 37. I think the only thing to say about that is, you know, we thought if Mania was going to be in Hollywood, hey, maybe The Rock, maybe we get Roman Reigns The Rock. Um, I don't think that is still in the cards in 2023. By the time we get another two years out, so another two years and like three months out from now, The Rock being willing to wrestle at that point in his life and career Roman Reigns, is he still even the top guy in WWE? I don't know that we get that moment. And I, you know, things are, un- I don't know that it would have happened anyway, honestly. But I think that just closes the book on The Rock at WrestleMania again.
1: Yeah, that. I mean, that was the first thought I had when I saw it got pushed back two years. I, it's going to be, who who the heck knows where everybody's going to be in in two years for that my only other thought is if they think they can't do it in two years, do they then just go ahead and try to do it this year? I, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, I, you know, we know when they think if something's too far away, they can't do it. They'll just decide to pull the, uh, just pull the trigger and do it. Like when we got the shield triple threat at like battleground or something like that for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I I think unlikely in a couple of years, but I, Still think it's possible it might be on the table for this year, although I guess we're going into the Rumble, so it's uh, it seems unlikely at this point, but
0: never know. I, I would say for 39, The Rock, or, and or John Cena hosting is sure. very possible. Yeah. I can see The Rock yeah. hosting WrestleMania 39. I don't see him wrestling. On that note, though, you do make a good point. WrestleMania 38 next year in Dallas doesn't fit necessarily The Rock right? There's no connection. And I do expect The Undertaker will be heavily featured. That's probably where he'll get the Hall of Fame nomination, because it is Texas. But I could see The Rock wrestling next year, potentially, just because it's going to be like the first big full WrestleMania, WWE wanting to make a huge spectacle of it. Hey, look, I don't know, maybe SummerSlam this year ends up being a massive stadium show that's 50% capacity. And maybe they try to pull The Rock out for that and, and just maybe they push off a Roman Reigns rock storyline until the summer. Yeah, I don't know. But if people are vaccinated both doses by July, then late August, I mean, you could pull it off theoretically, right? So I don't think it's completely a dead dream. I just think it happening at WrestleMania has become far less likely yes. than it was, obviously pre-pandemic. Yep, totally. Okay, so that is it. Enough talking WrestleMania, enough talking NFL. Let's talk about what's happening in WWE right now. And to do that on this show, we slide into the main event. event. And speaking of the Samoan bloodline, we got to talk Roman Reigns and his path to the Royal Rumble. This part of the main event is going to be extended because SmackDown for two hours on Friday, I would say almost like an hour 15 of that show was dedicated or correlated in some way to Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about everything related to that in the main event, and then we'll kind of wrap up everything else SmackDown later when we talk about everything else that happened in WWE. So SmackDown opened with Reigns perusing his Royal Rumble contract and Paul Heyman saying it was boilerplate stuff before seeing Reigns that he was displeased. Uh, So Heyman then became kind of cowardly and said he'd get a stipulation added. Later backstage, Sonia Deville said she watched Adam Pierce's old videos on YouTube, and he actually stood a chance against Reigns. Heyman showed up with the contract, got distracted by Sonia's perfume, uh, and told Pierce it's now a no disqualification match. Pierce called it ridiculous, but he signed it anyway, saying he knew he would get hurt no matter what kind of match it was. Reigns later said he never agreed to a no disqualification, instead, wanted a last man standing. And Chris, I, I, we didn't, we don't watch together. We don't talk Fridays during the show, but you knew like the life came out of my body when they announced the last man. I'm just like, are, are you serious again? How many times have we talked about this on the show? Like how many last man standing matches do we need to have? And why do you keep picking the worst stipulation? I I don't get it, man. But uh, Heyman said Pierce wouldn't agree to that. Rain said he trusted it would be handled. Heyman passed on the news to Pierce later and repeated that he trusted it would be handled, presumably in the ring, by them signing the contract. So there was lots of good, a little bad here. Reigns and Heyman are obviously at the top of their game right now. I thought Reigns had a great command of the scene throughout all those interactions, and Heyman like kowtowing to him is just absolutely perfect. You know the part I don't like, I just mentioned it, last man standing, the absolute worst stipulation, and dude, it seems like there's now one every two months.
1: Yeah, no, I was like no 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 no. No, I don't I don't want it to be this um it it was interesting because I the way it played out, I was like, "Oh, this is weird. This is not typically how we do contract signings and why is this happening at this time in the show?" And obviously it continued to play out, but in that moment, I was like, "Oh no, not not this. We already know this is not going to be a good match." It, technically speaking, uh do we, please don't put this terrible stipulation on top of it. Right. On top of like, I, I wasn't that depressed to
0: see Adam Pierce because I never expected them to actually have the match. This is what we talked about last week. I never actually yes. anticipated Pierce would end up wrestling, or even if he did, there would be two matches on the show. So I, I kind of, I didn't have the sense of the direction they were going, but I was apprehensive of like, wow, they're really making this kind of convoluted. But it ultimately made sense why they made it convoluted. A quick pause because I did want to mention that Roman Reigns was one of three people on the show, all of whom were associated with him, that got an entrance using the new 8K camera that WWE's introduced. So I thought it was only going to be on SmackDown, that Fox had adopted it for all those end zone shots that we've seen during NFL right. broadcast. It's gorgeous and really, really cinematic. Lots of depth of field. It makes the guys and girls look larger than life, like they're in a video game. I didn't expect them to use it on Raw as well. Not only did they use it on Raw, they used it for like 50% of the entrances on Raw. So this now seems to be the new entrance camera, but we got our first taste of it with Jey Uso, with Apollo Crews, and then later at the end of the show with Roman Reigns, and I did put a note in here. I love that they brought this in. I, I do think it can be overused. I do think that for entrances that have a lot of flashing lights, it's not as effective as the ones that are a little bit more plain, but it makes these guys look like massive stars when they use that camera.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. I know we, we've called it 8K. I, I've seen some other people say it's technically not what it is. It's it's a mirrorless camera. I, I don't really know all the details, but for simplicity's sake, we'll just say 8K camera. It, it looks, well, no, you go, go ahead. ahead. What's up?
0: No, I'm just gonna explain what it is and then I'll let you continue. So the it's a camera from Sony. It's a $10,000 camera that is capable of filming in 8K. Now, we can't broadcast right now in right. 8K, and our TVs can't receive TV right. 8K. All of us have 1080p, right? For the for the most part. Some of you have 4K, but I don't even think Fox broadcasts everything in 4K. Maybe they pick events here and there, like HD back in the day. So it's a $10,000 camera with like a $3,000 special type of lens and a rig that apparently is like 100 bucks. Like the rig is not expensive. But when you put all of that together, it... Utilizes this mirrorless technology that comes with the 8K camera to create this very unique type of picture. So, no, it's not 8K in terms of transmission or in terms of broadcast quality. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's being taped in 8K for yeah. the future. Again, I don't even think I think I saw something where we can't even see 8K with our yeah. eyes or something like that. So, I don't know how that all works. <laughs> I'm not very technical. I do know that we have some followers who are in the video and audio. Uh, you know, broadcasting realm that probably have more defined answers for us. But from my research, that's what I learned about the camera and how it works. It is not expensive, like $13,000 is really not that much for a camera, um, but it is unique and special. And the camera itself, the reason it's called AK. It's because it's capable of taping. It makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it looks like, I mean, it looks like a, a video game, you know, where it's all blurry in the background. That's what NFL games look like uh, when you do sideline shots. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's different. And I agree. It makes the entrances feel a little bit cooler. I've tried to wonder if there's like other things they can do with it other than entrances, if there's any way you could like film a match using that and how that might look just to do something weird. But uh, no, it's cool. I, I mm-hmm. like it. it. It's different. They, we've seen, I'd love to see we've seen like, them like do the drone camera before, like coming in from above. So the thunder, the Thunderdome, <laughs> this isn't really tied to the Thunderdome, but they've done, they've tried different things in the Thunderdome. I think it's been pretty cool. So this is, I think, another, another interesting, pretty simple thing to try out.
0: If memory serves, I don't think we got a single drone camera this week on SmackDown or Raw. And for me, I don't want necessarily this to be Every entrance. I think you should use it for like those larger than life yes. characters, a Roman Reigns, a Keith Lee, Drew McIntyre, all those guys, Oscar, uh, a Becky Lynch, Charlotte, they should all get this treatment. Then I think you, what you do is you kind of slot in everyone else. Other people use the drone camera, other people use a regular camera. And I don't think it means that automatically every, oh, also every champion should get this as well yes. for their entrance. Um, but so, so that's how I would do it, but I wouldn't use this exclusively. I would mix it up with all the other things. Just like some people got the drone camera with those big graphics, like Sasha has the legit boss and Roman had the, you know, the the guy uh, or his, him <laughs> himself, like, like flexing and stuff. Uh, I would, I would use a couple of those for some people. I would use this for others and I would really pick and choose. I don't think
1: it's the end of the world if they use it for everyone. I just... I would be a little bit more flat. I side. mean, I, I've said I don't want Drew McIntyre to do that sword flame entrance for every match. I only want to see it for the big matches, but they're already doing it for every match now. So, I mean, we know with WWE, they try to make everything the biggest every time. So it's harder and harder to stand out outside of WrestleMania. So I assume this is just going. to we're just going to get this all the time now.
0: I really do wish that was only for major, for title matches yeah. basically. It's, it's a little disappointing that they do it for everything. Okay, let's move back to SmackDown. Enough talk about cameras and entrances. Uh, so Reigns and Jey Uso, they go into the ring for the contract signing. They force Adam Pearce out of his chair just because Reigns wanted to sit in that chair, which is classic like high school bullying uh, stuff. I thought that was funny. Uh, once they both signed the contract, Pearce smirked and said he'd been waiting all night for Reigns to sign. Then he starts walking up the ramp and begins favoring his right leg. Heyman... Heyman was the best because he immediately knew what was happening and he sold it in the ring. Like he put his hand over his face and he's like, oh my God, I just got one upped. Like someone actually got one over on me. Reigns was confused. He wasn't exactly sure what was going on. Pierce grabs a mic. He says, all contracts say card subject to change. And if Pierce is not medically cleared, which he doesn't think he will be at the Royal Rumble, he has a suitable replacement in mind. Kevin Owens' music hits. He walks right out, signs the contract. They both laugh as Reigns was absolutely incensed, huffing and puffing. I completely understand why they are going with Owens in this spot. And I thought everyone in this segment was incredible, particularly Pierce. He really was the star. He might actually be the best authority figure since Paige. And he may even be besting her right now, if we're being honest. My only hope is. As good as this was, as much as it makes sense for Owens to get this spot, my hope is they don't drop Nakamura and the run he had in the gauntlet match and at least make him like Reigns' next challenger in February or March. That way, Nakamura gets paid off for having that nice push in the individual gauntlet match, yet Owens gets the match
1: that he really should have based on storyline. Question. When Pierce was on the ramp explaining his thing, was his mic cutting out or was that my TV? No, the mic was screwed up. Like the in the in arena. Yeah, that really up. took away, I think, from that moment. It sucked because you could tell this was like the big moment and the mic was failing him. That was really frustrating. But you got the you got the. I, I did, it. but it was just like, I was like, I, it took me out of the moment because I was like, wait, is something wrong with my TV? Is something going on here? And I kind of... It was not Yeah, and, and so yeah. that kind of, that was unfortunate because did, he did a really great job selling it. And then... I thought when you said it's someone else, I was thinking Nakamura. Like you, I was like, oh, this is going to be Nakamura's moment and he'll do that. And then it was Kevin Owens. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, cool. That Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So it wasn't like a, it, it was a great setup. It's just kind of with the way the previous week had gone, that's what I expected. So it kind of changed. The Honestly, the, my only real actual issue with it was commentary. Did not sell this. Michael Cole was not like, Oh, it's Kevin Owens. Oh, Roman's pissed. Oh my goodness, it's gonna be crazy at the Rumble. It was. It was very just like matter of fact. Like, it's Kevin Owens, and it'll be Kevin Owens and R- Roman Reigns, and it got one over on him. It was just Cole did not sound surprised, and that was kind of frustrating because they they got one over on him. They should be like hyping this up, like, whoa, he got him surprised, boom. And and Cole was just not didn't have a surprised excited tone, so it was kind of. Strange. I, I agree with that. I think Cole definitely should have
0: sold it more as the great Paul Heyman, the tribal chief got one pulled over on them, right? After all this time kind of dominating the scene and being so aggressive, getting their way, they, you know, someone beat them to the punch and it was Adam Pierce, the authority figure, right? So I think they could have built up Pierce and Owens a little bit more in that regard, the fact that this is a last man standing match, you guys know I don't like it. I'm not going to bel- belabor the point here. But given the stipulation, I do prefer that it's Kevin Owens to Shinsuke Nakamura. Because the last thing I would want is for Nakamura to finally get a title opportunity after a long time, have be, be newly turned face, and just get the shit kicked out of him by Roman Reigns. Whereas Owens has at least proven that he is someone who can take a beating and keep getting up and that's really what this stipulation's about that he wants to stop him ultimately from being able to get up so given the context again i'm ex- i accept the stipulation a little bit more also because it's smackdown i'm not as worried that the booking's going to suck you know i'll give a little bit of benefit of the doubt but again just to reiterate for me if nakamura does not get a title match in february or march
1: then they really do kind of just throw away that gauntlet. Yeah. And and I'm still not happy about the stipulation, but it's exactly like what you said. I, I trust SmackDown and Roman and Kevin Owens to probably get this right. You know, SmackDown has earned our trust, especially when it comes to Roman Reigns stuff on this. So I, I, I can accept it. I still wish it was something else. Um, but I can accept it, and yeah, it, it should be Nakamura should come back into this some way. And I think you know, with what we saw with with Jey Uso, as a way to kind of acknowledge that they are that they want to keep that in 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 your mind as well.
0: That's how I feel, and we will talk about that in a second. Before we do, I want to mention that talking smack on the WWE Network, it is becoming for me appointment viewing, and Raw Talk is not the same. But the work that Paul Heyman is doing on Talking Smack, not only getting himself and Roman and their storyline over with Kevin Owens, but also getting other storylines and other wrestlers over, you've seen him do it recently with the Dirty Dogs, with the Street Prophets, Apollo Crews, and Big E. We're going to talk about Apollo Crews, Big E, and and Kevin Owens on this show. The work he's doing on Talking Smack is incredible. It's like a 20-minute show. It comes on Saturday mornings. You can watch it at any point during the week. You literally have before the next SmackDown, seven days almost entirely to watch a 20 minute episode of Talking Smack. I highly suggest everyone watch this show. Now I watched the last I've watched them all, but I've watched the last two weeks in particular, and I wanted to deliver a couple notes from them regarding Kevin Owens this past week on Talking Smack. Heyman admitted and was impressed that Owens completely outsmarted them. He said he can't control Reigns' rage. Heyman seemed to then break the fourth wall a bit and talked about pulling Owens out of a lot of jams back when he was executive director of Raw. And he said in another life, Owens would easily be a Paul Heyman guy. Heyman then broke Owens, like broke him, made him laugh, uh, by talking about hell being a lot like Florida. It was just an expert level type of promo from Heyman. Owens came back. He was really good as well. Talked about the card subject to change being something he absolutely hated as a kid, uh, but he loves that it worked out in his favor 20 years later. Owens said he's been a rock for Heyman on Raw, and he's been a Paul Heyman guy since he discovered ECW in 1998. Owens went toe-to-toe with Heyman, promo-to-promo this entire time. I thought it was an incredible segment. Chris, I don't know if you got a chance to
1: watch Talking Smack, But this popped me in a major way. No, yeah, you told me during Raw, you were like, by the way, you you need to watch Talking Smack before we record tomorrow. So I did. And it's so refreshing because it's so unscripted. It comes across as so much more authentic and interesting when they do this. And Heyman is obviously, you know, one of the best ever doing this. And Kevin Owens can more than hold his own. And it, it, it's tremendous. And I just think like, I, I know a lot of times they will come back on the next episode and show you a highlight of part of the conversation from something on, on on Raw Talk or Talking Smack and then like lead into a segment on the show. But like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like it's almost backwards where if there's like a meaningless match, you know, that that's on that show that involves that person, maybe put that on Saturday, like Saturday morning wrestling type of thing and put the really, really awesome real time conversation between them on the show, um, because that I think is more interesting. But maybe, maybe the maybe the maybe the reasoning is the only people who are going to watch Talking Smack are the people who want this exact type of thing. So let's give it to them there. I guess we've, we've talked about that in the YouTube channel. And the, the really interesting thing is they do on for on forums outside of the show But this was great. This, again, Paul Heyman, a a, a Paul Heyman talking smack segment sold me on a match more than anything that almost anything had that happened during the show. And this was the case for several, I think, of these Owens matches, too. It's just it's really good. Like I said, highly recommend checking it out on the on the network.
0: It's, It's a total must watch, and I would love if they took talking smack and added like two matches that didn't have time for air, right? And they made it like an hour long show on the network on Saturdays. I think it would get people over, they could recap Smackdown. Hell, they could put this on FS1. Honestly, mm-hmm. they could do Talking Smack plus two matches here. at Saturday mornings on FS1, although that probably doesn't work during college football season, but I think you get where I'm going here. You could make an hour long show out of that and have it be a great complimentary piece to Smackdown itself. Hell, you could do it immediately after Smackdown on FS1 like they do whenever uh, SmackDown is on FS1, and it would work as long as you have someone like Paul Heyman in that chair, who's just able to get all these people over. He did it with Owens and this storyline. We're going to talk about him a little later doing it with two other guys as well. But as we said, we're going to stay with this Roman Reigns extended storyline here and move over to the Jey Uso portion of it. Early in the show, Jay entered the ring, said he was entering the Royal Rumble, to go after the WWE title and Drew McIntyre and he boasted about Roman now like that he's completely brainwashed by Reigns like he's just his supporter and he's going to bubble him up as much as he possibly can Shinsuke Nakamura came out in full face mode with the original entrance long-term listeners know I pop huge for that and he was he had like the jacket that still had the blue in it but his gear was back to only red and black which is what he wore as a face. He felt and looked totally rejuvenated. His back and forth with Jay I thought was pretty funny. This was a really strong opening to Smackdown and it set the stage for the entire show. Later in the show we did get Shinsuke Nakamura against Jay Uso one on one. Cesaro's music hit and he came down early in the match, which I thought was a little strange, but he announced on commentary that he was in the Royal Rumble. Nakamura hit an awesome sliding snap German suplex, and Jay came back with a lifted neck breaker. Jay then countered Kinshasa with a super kick, but Nakamura used double knees on the Samoan splash. Jay got a three count, Uh, but Charles Robinson saw his feet on the middle rope, waved it off. Jay then argued with the official. Nakamura rolled him over and hit Kinshasa for the win. Jay later argued with Charles Robinson backstage, saying to do his job or he might get fired messing with the chief. Uh, strong, I thought, but not spectacular match. It accomplished the goal of getting Nakamura a clean win. And it was great to see Cesaro there celebrating with him. I do have some questions about Cesaro. We can answer later. But to the point you made earlier in the show, I think this established that Shinsuke Nakamura is not necessarily done with Roman Reigns and the Usos and
1: Paul Handler. Yeah. You know, going back to the entrance, I love the idea that the music kind of signifies if you're in heel or face mode. I mean, it's kind of how they do it with Triple H. You know, if it's, if it's the game, he's it's face. If it's King of Kings, he's heel. So switching back to that music for, for Nakamura was great. Match was good. Got the clean win. Continues to, to move up forward. Makes sense with Jey Uso as a guy who people can get wins over and it helps them. but but Jay has been, I think, established enough that he's not becoming a lackey yet, but also because he puts on great matches. It's not like he's going out there and getting squashed and and stuff like that. So um, this, this, I think, accomplished what it needed to do, which was um, good to see, and good to see Nakamura still involved in this.
0: Totally agree. Now, we'll stay with, again, this, and it's weird to kind of go in this direction, but we'll talk Apollo Cruz, and he had a match with Sami Zayn, But the other part of that earlier segment with Roman Reigns I liked was Reigns, while he was having the conversation with Heyman about going over the contract, he was simultaneously mentoring Apollo Crews, and he made him stay to see how he handled Paul Heyman and his contract negotiations. This after Heyman tried to set Crews straight with a pep talk on Talking Smack last week. That was incredibly interesting because Crews is... Now this unexpected part of the dynamic, and it's really a big rub for him getting to work with Reigns, even in this limited capacity. So as I said, with Roman and with Jay, Cruz got this 8K camera entrance. Biggie was at ringside, and he was randomly laying on a couch, eating berries in a Ghostbusters sweater with a mini fridge. And I could not take my eyes off the fridge because the door was open the entire match. Did
1: you notice that as well? Yeah. Uh, I was like, you yeah, gonna close the door. Things are going to start to melt a little bit. It, it was just funny. And Big E, like laying there, was hysterical,
0: being on commentary. He was awesome on commentary, going back and forth with um, Graves and Michael Cole. There was a funny moment where Zane called Big E brother. And Biggie's like, I'm not your brother. And they went back and forth about that. The whole thing was just really interesting and different and funny. Uh, but in the match, Cruz was motivated. He had a sick moonsault off the announce table. Zayn nearly got a win by grabbing the tights on the roll-up, but the referee noticed it. Cruz came back with the same roll-up a few minutes later, but did it behind the referee so he couldn't see it. Totally exposing, by the way, Sammy's crack of his ass. (laughs) Hey, he was just checking the oil, I guess. Uh, Cruz got the win. Cruz then took the Intercontinental title and jawed back and forth with Big E a little bit. So I like what they're doing with Sammy Zayn because he can lose. It's not a big deal. He has the camera crew. He's doing the conspiracy that angle will play itself out. They've now, with Biggie and Apollo Cruz, set an inter- intercontinental title match next week. I wish their match two weeks ago was non-title. In that case, it's the same mistake they made with New Day and the Hurt Business on Raw, where they kept giving away the title matches with results that didn't matter until eventually getting to the "quote-unquote" real match. On that, in that case, where the title changed hands, here we expect Biggie to win and retain. But Chris, I have to say, if this is the situation where Apollo Cruz and maybe Jey Uso helps him beat Big E for the Intercontinental title, this could start us on a path. You know, we I've been talking more about Daniel Bryan winning the Royal Rumble recently. This could start you on the path where you're kind of planting the seeds for a Big E Roman Reigns rivalry. And you could have Big E win the Royal Rumble or an Elimination Chamber match or something and end up with that opportunity against Roman Reigns.
1: And can I just say that I feel like Apollo Cruz has, he feels like a bigger deal through the last two weeks on SmackDown than he did that whole time as a U.S. champion on Raw. Like, I don't know what it is about SmackDown, but they, they just, when they want to make a guy a big deal, they make him a big deal and they do it quickly. I mean, like they did with Nakamura a couple weeks ago. Apollo Cruz is in this match. You know, I know you don't like that it was a title match or whatever. I liked it at the time because it was a tie and a loss. It, it, it made sense in, in in kayfabe why that happened. It made him look pretty. It, it made Cruz look pretty good. Um, he feels like a threat now, and and the whole hurt business thing. They just ran that back over and over and over and over. And we got so sick of seeing Apollo Cruz versus the Hurt business that it just took away from everybody involved in that. And we're just we don't we're not getting that on SmackDown. We're getting something that feels fresh. And so Apollo Cruz going into this Intercontinental Title match feels like a bigger deal to me than even when he was a U.S. champion. It, it's just wild how the two shows are so different. And speaking of talking Smack, I think it was two weeks ago or this week. I don't remember. I watched them both back to back after you told me to, but Paul Heyman gave a pep talk to Apollo Cruz that ties into the whole Roman Reigns thing. And, and, and and he was basically saying, Biggie, you know, if Biggie's beating you and, and, and toying with you and doing these things, it's like going home and sleeping with your wife and taking care of your kids. And Cruz, Cruz was mm-hmm. getting all fired up and, and pissed off about it. So you, it's continuing to plant those seeds of maybe Apollo Cruz joins, whatever Roman Reigns has going on. But everything they've done with Apollo Crews over the last couple of weeks makes him feel like a big deal. And it's it's been very refreshing and and, and enjoyable. I think part of the reason why Crews didn't feel like a big deal as US
0: champion is you have to remember that happened in the that's performance true, center true. era. So you are talking really muted crowd. There was no crowd for a long time. When you got them, it was always annoying. They were just banging on the glass. He never really fought anyone here. He's inter the the reason he feels like a big deal here is he's interacting with Roman Reigns. He's 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 working with the Mm -hmm. big dog. And I don't mean big dog like the gimmick. I mean, big dog like he is the big dog in the company. Like this is the guy right now and has been. So when he's mentoring him backstage and then he's working with Paul Heyman on Talking Smack, like you said, which was Fantastic! That was the second thing I was going to mention. Paul Heyman, the promo he cuts on Apollo Cruz on Talking Smack,
1: expert level. It was even better than the. It honestly, might be what, it's, it might it be one. It might be might be one of the promos of the year. And it's weird because it's Paul Heyman. Pardon it's me. weird because it's Paul Heyman talking about Apollo Cruz to Apollo Cruz, as opposed to like anything that has to do with himself. But it was on a secondary show, not shit talking yeah, him. Yeah, like. It was it was
0: truly masterful. So you definitely, you guys need to watch the last two episodes of Talking Smack to really get a handle on what we're talking about. Uh, he also went after Big E, you know, uh, and had a back and forth with him. It was good as well. But yes, Apollo Cruz just feels bigger. I'm going to give you two paths and I want you to tell me which one you would take, okay? We're going to assume that Shinsuke Nakamura will fight Roman Reigns next month, right? Just- one-off title match at the pay-per-view, loses, Reigns as champion, okay? Reigns will enter WrestleMania as champion. That's the storyline we're going with. You have two options. Option one, either Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble or Elimination Chamber to become the number one contender. You do the whole storyline with, you know, Roman Reigns winning that Royal Rumble, getting the WrestleMania opportunity fans, turning on him, Daniel Bryan winning the title, so on and so forth, right? That's storyline one. Storyline two is you have Big E either win the Royal Rumble or Elimination Chamber. And it it picks up from here with Heyman working with Cruz, Cruz beating him for the Intercontinental title. Big E going up against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. If you had to choose either of those, which path do you take? Man,
1: that's tough. I, 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 I would love to see a Roman Reigns, Big E, championship match at WrestleMania. I just think it's going to take a lot of work to, 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 to get there because if the only, yeah, and, and if the only, cause right now w- w- the only story would be Roman Reigns kind of costs Biggie, the intercontinental championship. That's not a reason for Biggie to get the WWE title shot, which I don't think he's ever gotten before. So if, if that's it, no, he would, no, he would right. have right. to win. It, it, would, World, it, World right. World it World would have Mission. to be, yeah. it would have to be through that, but we'd have to have a, we'd have to have some more animosity and I, I'm sure they can build it. And like I said, I, I, I guess I trust SmackDown to put that there, but these two guys have basically never interacted yet. And we're basically at the rumble already. So they're going to have to get going on that. If that's what they go, go with. But if you talk about Paul Heyman and Biggie cutting promos and, and doing stuff, I think they can do that. So so I would love to see Apollo Crews. Uh, Apollo Cruz beats Big E for the Intercontinental title. Big E wins the Royal Rumble or Elimination Chamber, gets that title match against, uh, against Roman.
0: So faced with the same choice, Chris, I don't actually know that I have an answer. On one hand, the Daniel Bryan storyline, potential storyline is right. so strong. It really dates back. It's paying off. All of that happening, how long is Roman Reigns actually going to be a heel where you can do this? I would probably lean in that direction, especially because we don't know how much longer Daniel Bryan is going to be a full-time wrestler. We know that soon he won't be. And then when that's the case, are they ever going to put him in a title feud again? I don't think so. So I would probably lean with the Daniel Bryan storyline, despite all of you listening no, know, knowing but I am a massive Big E fan. I think he should be in the main event picture, singles wrestler. And I do think it is feasible because, again, Apollo Cruz beating Big E with help from Paul Heyman and the advice counsel of Roman Reigns, it's very easy for Big E to later on SmackDown this Friday, if he does lose the title, turn around and go right after Roman and say, hey, Roman, like, what the hell are you doing? Or or Paul, you know, why did you interfere? You know, if Jay interferes, let's say, I don't know. You have to really work out the storyline. I'm not trying to fantasy book, but it's easy for him to turn around, get in his face and kind of start that as a side storyline and then have that transpire through the Royal Rumble Elimination Chamber or him just challenging Reigns another way. So I think you can get to both. Right now, I see no other avenue than one of those two challenging Roman right. Reigns at WrestleMania, and if it's someone else, I have to believe I'd be disappointed because both of those are easy to project and to build and SmackDown, look, sometimes predictable things are good. And I don't think that this is necessarily that predictable. Sometimes predictable things are good. But it's easy to see the path for both Daniel Bryan and Big E, two guys who I like, both guys who I'd love to see in this match. And let's also not forget, I'll end on this, Chris. This is not that dissimilar from when Roman Reigns, a couple of years ago, was completely kept away from the title picture. And then he won the Intercontinental title in the feud with The Miz. And I believe I said on the podcast I was on at the time, it was a genius move because it got him back in like the title winning sphere. He could drop the title quickly, which he did. And then he could move right back into the main event title picture with fan momentum behind him, which he did. So I think it's very similar for E. It's a very quick way to build up Big E and put him potentially in a WrestleMania main event. Either work. I would lean Daniel Bryan for the reason stated. But, I, dude, I have to believe they go in one of those Yeah, and directions.
1: the other thing I'll say, though, is you got to take the result of that match, I think, into account too. And if Daniel Bryan is in the main event, I think it, it's easy to have Roman Reigns win that. And, and continue to move yeah. forward. If, if, and, and I'm sure Dana Bryan would be all for that. If Big, e's in the, if Big E is in the, the, the main event, does he have to? Does he have to win it? You know, it, 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 is it, <laughs> it going to be weird if he loses a WrestleMania main event to a guy like Roman Reigns? Not not that they can't get him back into that position, but usually when you have someone kind of their first main event WrestleMania type deal, it's, it's supposed to be kind of a crowning achievement moment. So I think that would kind of. Kind of lean me in the in the direction of maybe they go Dan and Brian,
0: especially because you know what would happen. They have the ready made storyline as well of, you know, Jimmy Uso supposedly is ready to return. We think you know any month now, so Jimmy can come back. You can have New Day with Big E. They reunite them after splitting them up. So everyone's in each other's corners, and he his brothers have his back. It would be very weird if you had all of that going on and having New Day fail. And have Big E fail in that moment. So I agree. If they want to change the title, it's Big E. Although Daniel Bryan winning the title also is like a career send-off type of deal. He could lose it back to Reigns a couple months later. Yeah. Two months later. That's fine. Um, at Money in the Bank, for example, he could drop the title right back to Reigns. So doing that could work. But I think, yes, you're more likely to get a title change if it's Big E other than Daniel Bryan. Either work. Both would be great. I really hope they pick one of those two directions. That's, that's at least to what I can it. say here. So, okay, that's the main storyline from SmackDown. Let's move over and talk about Raw where, for better or worse, and it's kind of a little bit of both, to be honest with you, the main storyline is The Fiend. Uh, Randy Orton opened Raw, cutting a promo from a dark room. He had a white mask, soft mask, on his face, and he was looking like some combination of Golga, from The Oddities, and Slapjack. But it was like a burn victim type of play with red blotches on his nose and forehead. Orton said any ounce of compassion he had left is gone after Alexa Bliss's fireball, and he's wearing the mask to shield others from the sight of his face. He said he doesn't blame Bliss, only the Fiend who wants to stop him from winning the Royal Rumble. So quick pause. The Fiend got burned alive and sent to hell. And his biggest concern in the world is Orton winning a wrestling match? <laughs> okay, let's just let's just think about that logic there. Uh, anyway, Orton said he welcomes the pain and will win the entire thing. So let me admit a couple things here. First, I was wrong, and you don't hear me say that much, but I was wrong that WWE would not follow up on the Fireball from last week's main event. I don't really think you can blame me for assuming that, considering it's Raw and they don't follow up on shit. But they did prove me wrong right away to start the show. So. Credit to them for that. Second, Orton's promo, the content, the delivery, all of that, it was great. He went seven straight minutes with like a soliloquy. But man, I just feel like they lost me on this storyline last week. I like the theme being burnt alive. And I like what's happening with Bliss somewhat. We'll talk about the pros and cons of that. But I'm really
1: struggling to buy into
0: this part of the angle.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean... They're leaning into weird and and that's kind of where I wanted them to go so I I appreciate the effort maybe it wasn't a home run but I, I yeah is it weird that uh the fiend went to hell and he's mostly concerned about a wrestling match sure but it was also weird that the undertaker was kind of the same deal and he was crucifying and hanging people in the context of a pro wrestling show so I'm sure, fine with sure. it I I'm and and I like that Alexa's now doing something else that's not Randy that we'll get into in a minute, but also it still ties into The Fiend. So, no, I'm, I'm cool with it. It was interesting. I, I'm Like I said, I'm glad they followed up. I'm glad they addressed that Randy's face is burned. Um, we'll see how long it stays that way, and if they go, like, if he wears a mask for, like, a month or something, or if, if he eventually pulls off a cane and he's just got, like, charcoal on his face or something. So, <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go, um, but... It has me, it has me interested. I, I. It's a little, it's a little campy and, and weird and I, it's kind of where I wanted it to go. So I'm, I'm cool with it. Okay. So
0: Asuka appeared on Alexa's playground segment ahead of their match. So Asuka versus Alexa Bliss in a non-title match was scheduled. Nothing really happened. Um, Other than Asuka, like addressing the fiend, which Bliss did not like. They did something where there was a rocking horse. That was moving and Fiend, and Bliss was talking to her imaginary friend of the Fiend. Asuka then got freaked out and left. This thing I hated. Now, we'll, I'm going to keep talking about this storyline and, and, and the match that they had. This part of it I thought was absolutely terrible. I thought the playground segment was the worst playground segment they've had. I thought it was one of the worst segments they've had in the universe of the Fiend in terms of non-wrestling type of deals. And I just didn't really buy into it at all. I thought it was strange, despite me generally liking the direction they're going with Bliss. Now, as far as the match goes, Bliss got a new black leather type of jumper for a ring gear. I thought it looked great. The match started hot with Bliss kind of enjoying the pain. It was picking up as the lights went out with different sounds for Bliss rather than Bray Wyatt as we went to commercial. So we come back and the ring was pink uh, it was lit pink, and Bliss suddenly was wearing all black instead of black and pink. Bliss then operated like a totally different wrestler. She stalked Oscar, blocked all of her strikes. She did Wyatt's spider thing in the corner and went for the mandible claw, but Oscar blocked it. Then Oscar clicked, kicked out of Bliss's old one punch finisher, which was the worst finisher in wrestling ever. Uh, So the fact that Oscar kicked out of that I thought was really it was bad. a hell of a punch though. Um, it was good. I mean, it was well done. But I mean, you can't ever buy no. that she's going to finish someone with the with the same punch no, that the big show I, does. Even when the big no, show. No, but I, I
1: I literally wrote down on my notes. I was like, whoa! That they Oscar sold the hell out of it. They I don't. The, the sound was good. It was a hell of a punch.
0: But don't forget, Bliss went on a tear where she beat like Bailey mm-hmm. and Nicky James and Sasha Banks with that punch as her finisher, and that was the most one of the most offensive things to me at the time. So. They didn't use it as the finisher here, which is great. Like, I'm okay with it. Just use it as like a setup or something like that. But I was worried when she went to cover Asuka. I was like, oh my God, she's going to pin Asuka with the stupid one punch finisher that I hate. Okay. They didn't do that. Uh, Asuka then kicked the hell out of Bliss three times, but she was relatively unaffected. Then Bliss caught her, stalled, and hit Sister Abigail for the clean win. There was a fiend screen change and Bliss was back in her pink attire. And the result of this match is Alexa Bliss beating the Raw Women's Champion, Asuka clean. And I think you guys know from listening to me talk about wrestling for a long time, I hate when Asuka loses matches for no reason. I did not find that to be the case here. And I think wrestling fans on Twitter and Reddit crying about Oh my God, how could you ever have Asuka lose? How could you have her lose to Alexa Bliss? Bliss shouldn't beat Asuka. Folks, people lose matches. Champions lose matches. It is not the greatest travesty in the world just because Asuka lost to a character in Bliss who has been possessed by The Fiend. She didn't lose to Alexa Bliss. She lost to The Fiend. Again, you guys know I hate Asuka losing unnecessary matches as much as anyone. I've railed against it for years when they did it. This is not one of those cases, okay? Champions lose matches. I don't like using this word either, but stop being smarks for a second and being dorks about Asuka losing. She's allowed to lose. I get some people don't like this entire storyline and don't like The Fiend. As I've said every week on this show, If you don't like The Fiend, I am not going to argue with you about not liking The Fiend. That is your prerogative. But you have to be able to look at the individual booking angles of it. And I love how they are booking Alexa Bliss. They're doing exactly what I hoped and talked about on this podcast weeks ago, Chris, with you, by making Fiend not a person in Bray Wyatt, a part of his mental state but rather a possession that can jump from Wyatt to Bliss and can take over either of them, which means that Orton did not burn the Fiend alive because the Fiend is not something you can burn alive. It's something that can possess people. I think that's really smart. Now, if you want to make an argument that it's okay for WWE to do fantastical shit, but it shouldn't be your main event storyline, I'm with you there. I don't love that this is the main storyline going on Raw. And honestly, it was the main storyline going even when Drew McIntyre didn't have COVID and was appearing. Yeah, they did the thing with Goldberg in the main event, but this has been something that has main evented multiple shows. So if you don't like that, I'm with you. It should be a mid-show thing, its own separate storyline. Think about like Broken Matt Hardy. That was not really, they may have had main event matches, but it was just a part of impact when that was happening. So I get that, and I will agree with that. But people want WWE to tell detailed, involved, long-term stories. And then they do something completely different and off the wall, which people also want. They're sick of the same boring shit. And everyone complains. The Fiend was loved, and with the Firefly Funhouse, was loved for its creativity. Then it had a really bad booking, bad run, bad storyline with Seth Rollins, and people soured on it, And now some of those people can never like it again. Even if it does certain things that are good, they are now predetermined. They hate it. They're not going to like it. Nothing can succeed. Daniel Bryan was right. Fans really can be fickle. They can turn on a dime on something and never let it win them back. There are a lot of stupid things in this storyline, Chris. There's a lot of shit I don't like. No doubt about it. The stuff earlier in the show was pretty bad. But the main event to not like the fact that they're taking Alexa Bliss, who people thought was overpushed for a long time, despite not being powerful or or built solidly. And they're giving her a complete reinvention and giving her a brand new gimmick and allowing her to show some acting chops. I know she's not an Emmy award winning actress, but she's doing more than a lot of other women currently do with a character. And they're allowing her to do that. I thought she sold Being the Fiend incredibly well and did a good job in the character. I liked the main event. I didn't like all the things that go along with it. But I like what we saw from Alexa Bliss on Monday night.
1: Woo. I want to let you go there.
0: I have, this is one rant to show now. That's you you, you got to bring,
1: you gotta bring back the, the internet wrestling fan voice, though, for future episodes. I would not have ranted on this
0: if it wasn't for people just shitting on it incessantly and it being counter to all the other things they I, say they yeah. want. Like just because Asuka loses doesn't mean that she's buried. It doesn't matter that they beat a champion. Like these things happen in wrestling and
1: she's allowed to lose. She's been champion for eight freaking months at this point. Yeah. So it, it's, and, and they made it clear at the end too, when Alexa Bliss looks at the camera and they play the fiends let me in his voice to make it very clear that this is the fiend you know this isn't five feet of fury alexa bliss you know be- beating us exactly so i i think you made the good point there about dan o'brien and fans being fickle and if they don't like something like basically refusing to ever like decide to like it later you know i i've been a fan of this the whole way maybe not everything's been perfect but i i like it they're doing something different and fun and in using the setting that they have to try something different you know we, we complain all the time when they give us the same things over and over and a lot of raw was repeating previous episodes of raw but this is the, they're they're just doing different stuff it's 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 weird it's fine i it, I do not think this would be the main event if Goldberg and or Drew McIntyre were available. I know sometimes it's been the main event in the past, but now that we're a week away from the match, I'm pretty sure Drew McIntyre and Goldberg would be the main event of Raw. So if you don't think it's the main event of Raw, I want to know what the hell was supposed to be in the main event of Raw because there is not a lot going on on Raw otherwise. So I think this no that this week this week you're right. I think it was unfortunate that it got kind of stuck. Sure. Here but it's just like there's not a whole else on raw that is main event worthy basically and they're putting a lot of effort and time and energy into it is it is it always a home run no but shoot it's interesting to me every week someone's getting sudden fire or a fireball's being thrown at somebody or somebody's possessed by a demon I, it, it's like Drew McIntyre said earlier in the episode raw is trying to have something for everybody and this is i'm 100% in on this
0: yeah, I mean, we have plenty of listeners and people who follow us on Twitter who just say, Adam, I just don't like The Fiend. And if you don't like The Fiend top to bottom from day at debut to now, I that's fine. Like it's a fantastical, weird, off the wall type of deal, right? And And it's been going on for a while. What I find interesting about it is they somehow always manage to keep it fresh. And the addition of Alexa Bliss to The Fiend and the, and the work that she's done with Bray Wyatt and how they've worked off each other and together, it really works for mm-hmm. me. Now, again, even as someone who enjoys the general storyline, there's been plenty that I hate, including the Alexa Bliss stuff with the playground earlier in this show. The entire feud with Braun Strowman, there were things within it that I liked, like Braun dropping Alexa Bliss and the lights going out and Alexa showing up during the swamp fight. But the other 99% of the Swamp Fight was absolute garbage. And Fiend kind of losing but winning anyway was stupid. And, and we've gone through all of that stuff. So there's plenty not to like, even as someone who likes the Fiend as a gimmick. But what I won't stand for is basically half-hearted criticism or criticism where it's just not deserved. You, Asuka has been champion since May. She's basically beaten everyone. Now, she hasn't really defended much recently. I haven't liked that because of what they did with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. That's bad WWE booking. They haven't booked her great, but they have booked her strong. And she did lose the title, I think, for a week or whatever it was to Sasha Banks. It was storyline enabled. She won it right back. And she's held the title ever since. For her to lose to a fiend character on a Raw after she brutalizes them, it's really not that dissimilar. And I know people are drawing comparisons already to the Seth Rollins part of it, where they're unnecessarily putting the title and the champion, a face champion, in a feud with a character who doesn't need a title. I agree with that completely. If you're telling me that you just don't like the Asuka's feuding with Bliss, I'm going to agree with you with that as well. But in terms of what I saw Monday, which is all I can judge this on right now, I can't book ahead to Royal Rumble. I don't know if they're going to have Bliss beat Asuka for the title. I would hope they would realize not to repeat that storyline and not to have that happen a second time. But I'm not talking ahead. I'm talking about what I saw Monday night. In terms of what I saw Monday night in the main event, I did not mind it. I liked it. It gave Alexa depth. Asuka, do I love that she was maybe scared? No, but she wasn't scared of Bliss. She was scared of The Fiend. And she's not Kana. She's not her character from stardom. She's Asuka face Asuka right now in WWE. I thought it was completely appropriate. And I, I wanna kinda move on, but I'll let you get the last word. If you have anything
1: to add. No, I I think they set it up and explained it. You may not like it, but it it, it, it perfectly makes sense. If you if you're concerned Bliss is gonna win the title or something, hey, totally understandable. But in the context let's in happens. the context of just what they did. On on Monday night, it was fine. Relax.
0: Indeed. Now, that was a long main event,
1: but there's plenty
0: else that happened on SmackDown and Raw over the last week, including, Chris, two awesome matches. And we'll start with the SmackDown awesome match where we got Cesaro defeating Daniel Bryan one-on-one. Bryan was backstage training and doing hip thrusts again with Chad Gable and Otis He said he remained confident despite losing to Nakamura. Uh, It was a great technical match that we got. Cesaro's head got busted open. There were a ton of submission counters both ways. Cesaro hit an incredible, like twisting vertical suplex off the middle rope. Then he countered a running knee with an elevated European uppercut and then hit the Neuralizer for the win. Brian looked totally demoralized with the loss and Cesaro now seems to be operating in this tweener territory. It's no surprise to me that Brian wants to be putting over all these other guys. It is a little bit concerning though, because I'm worried he might be working his way toward a departure, or maybe this is setting up for him to actually win the Royal Rumble or the Elimination Chamber just as a way to give him some competition and people he needs to kind of beat on the way to WrestleMania. But this was an incredible match. It was the highlight, non-Roman Reigns highlight of SmackDown. It was the best match I think of the week. I think this outdueled the other one we're going to talk about in a bit. I loved it. I love to see Cesaro win.
1: I don't know what they're doing, but it was just a perfect piece of booking. And it came came out of Cesaro kind of insulting Dan O'Brien and Chad Gable and Otis doing their hip thrusts or whatever. Dan O'Brien looks like he's having just so much fun these last few weeks, maybe months on SmackDown where he just gets to wrestle people he loves to wrestle and have a lot of fun doing it. You know, I he he hasn't yet gotten into the main event story, but he's doing stuff with Gulak. He's doing stuff with Otis. He's doing stuff with Cesaro. He, you, you know, you I was unaware, but you made the point last week that I guess he's on the writing team for SmackDown or something. He's so clearly in the spot where he just wants to, like, make everybody around him a bigger deal. And you just, you really got to credit him for that. Match was great. You knew it would be. Um, Dana Bryan Nakamura too from from the Gauntlet match. You know he's just he's he's. This is the definition of giving guys the rub. You know, and it, it's been fun to see, and it just feels like he's having a lot of fun doing it, and you enjoy the hell out of it.
0: Now, similarly, we had a great match on Raw. This definitely was the highlight of Raw. Easily, it was the best thing that we got over three hours. AJ Styles against Ricochet. So Adam Pearce was backstage in the gorilla position, pumping up Ricochet uh, about having a Royal Rumble opportunity if he beats AJ Styles. Styles tore Pierce down for having no dignity, giving up a universal title chance over on SmackDown. I like that they did that, that just because Pearce is on both shows, and just because the rosters are separate, doesn't mean that other guys aren't watching the product. They don't know what's happening. I thought it was really smart that they did it. Ricochet had a really rough promo. Answering him back, they made him talk about the Fifty First Dates movie with Adam Sandler. I was glad he actually didn't talk more about it, but the fact that they even brought it up, it was just weird. Although Styles was great saying, "Yeah, it's one of my top ten favorite uh, movies," along with The Notebook. That was funny, but it just wasn't, you know, that great. Uh, But anyway, Ricochet in the ring is far better, and he did a cool, like Spanish arm drag with a flip, and then two leg scissors and a pair of huracanas. But he kept getting distracted by Omos, who caught him flying out of the ring and dropped him dead at ringside. Ricochet later did an incredible backflip, gut wrench German suplex. Styles caught a springboard moonsault with a lariat and then hit a brainbuster and kneeling neckbreaker for a pair of two counts. Ricochet caught the phenomenal forearm with the recoil, but he couldn't capitalize in time. Styles then broke up a high risk move, bounced Ricochet off the top rope, caught him in midair, and hit the Styles Clash for the win. This was a disgustingly awesome finish and a absolutely great match. I loved the entire thing. I honestly think it's the best that we've seen Ricochet look in an entire year. These two put on a clinic and Ricochet, Ricochet opened a lot of eyes, I
1: hope, with this match. Yeah, it was. I mean, you knew this, you know, when you saw it it was AJ Styles versus Ricochet, you knew exactly what you you were going to get out of it. I would like to think that, hey, Ricochet put on a great match. You guys should have him do this every week and that will get him over uh, is the answer. But I feel like we've known that and we've seen that and they just haven't gone forward with it. You know, we know what Ricochet can do. We've known about it for years and years and it's. Tougher when you don't have an in-ring, uh, in-arena crowd to react to all the stuff he can do. Um, so, does it crowd would have lost a shit? Yeah, no, I match. mean, that, that's always been the way to get Ricochet over, not doing promos about 51st dates. So, you know, it does this mean anything for Ricochet moving forward? I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna guess no, just because we've seen him kind of stop and started forever. He's just, middle tier guy who gets beat a bunch. It's kind of what he's been for a while. So I would love to see something different. Um, don't know what it's going to be, but that doesn't take away from, from what it what an incredible match was. And I know I've seen some people saying like, how come some people can just declare themselves for the rumble? Other people, you know, Pierce is saying they have to win a match to get in. I, I think it made sense because Ricochet has not been on any sort of tear. He's not an established top guy. You know who's been around for a while, who like Cesaro, who can just declare himself to be in. I think Ricochet is positioned as a guy who needs to earn it, and it makes sense. Oh yeah, I I wish he wasn't, but he is. So I I I, I think that made sense. I just I saw some people who were upset, thought that was a little bit inconsistent. I don't I don't think so. I think the guys, the guys who have announced their way in are largely established people. Yeah, Ricochet has been a consistent loser. I mean, he,
0: this was the biggest singles match he's had on Raw since last February. You know, he's, he's had other matches, but they've either been squashes or he's lost or he's beaten nobodies. This was the only thing that he's done that's mattered since the Brock Lesnar feud. And he did a great job. I think you're right. If Jeff Hardy announces for the Royal Rumble, Jay Uso, those are, these are guys who have won matches. Jeff Hardy was just intercontinental champion a couple months ago. Riddle has won a bunch of singles matches if he wants to announce. Keith Lee uh, beat Randy Orton a couple uh, months ago. He can announce. I think if some, if they have someone like Elias announce, who's been a consistent loser, just like Ricochet, that would be inconsistent. And I'm not saying they won't do that. They may have that happen next week. If Elias announces inconsistent. Ricochet, though, yeah, he he does need to earn his way in. And I really wouldn't hate if next week they kind of... Ricochet said, look hit you with the recoil. I should have won. I want a rematch. I want Omos barred from ringside and I want to go after you. I want to see Ricochet beat AJ Styles. I do. And I want to see Ricochet in the Royal Rumble. So he definitely needs to beat someone to get in. I do find it weird that they had Gulak try one week and then like now he gave yeah. up. Maybe they were establishing AJ Styles as the gatekeeper for the entire thing. But man, like they got to put Ricochet in the Rumble and I don't know how they're going to do it at this point. He had a despondent face after the loss, the same as he did when he lost to Mustafa Ali a couple weeks ago. I just, I want to see him in there. I do think Styles could have eaten the loss easily in this spot. I understand why they didn't have that happen. I'd like to see it happen next week. Yeah, same. All right, uh, moving back to SmackDown. We had an interesting match between Rey Mysterio and King Corbin. And this may surprise you. But I loved this. I actually liked the whole thing. Dominic was on commentary and said he wanted to win the tag team titles with Ray in 2021, which, Chris, is something we've obviously talked about extensively on the show. Then Michael Cole and Corey Graves on commentary were both goading him into standing up for himself, even though Ray told him not to get involved in the match. Match had a ton of counters of setup moves. After eating a 619, Corbin got up and hit Ray with the deep six. Then Ray caught Corbin around the post with a punt kick. Corbin ducked under a baseball slide and punched Dominic, who tried to get involved, distracted Ray. Corbin hits end of days and gets the win. The match was great. I thought the wrestling between Corbin and Mysterio was really, really exciting. The booking was smart. Later backstage, Ray said if Dominic wants to take care of Corbin, he has an idea. They didn't say what that idea was. The commentary stuff was a bit overscripted, but it's a good family dynamic story. The match was really entertaining. Corbin is good, Ray is obviously great.
1: I just thought they balanced each other really well here. Cor- Corbin is great with small guys, you know, g- going back to even NXT when he would, you know, rip on small guys and indie darlings. and That was kind of his character. He is great in the ring when he's working with a small guy who can kind of work around him and, and makes for stuff like the end of days look really great and, and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised this ended up being a really good match. And it was, you know, it, it was good. Everything about it was good. I just hope as with every time Corbin, Every time Corbin gets into a feud, I just think, okay, let's let's not do this for like five straight weeks. So we'll see. You know, I like seeing Corbin and Nakamura. Last uh, in the Gauntlet match, it was different. Ray and Corbin is different. So you, you got to keep Corbin fresh because sometimes he can he can wear out on you pretty quickly. So we'll see where it goes. Um, I just I hope we don't get Ray versus Corbin like three weeks in a row. Definitely agree with you there. Staying on SmackDown. We had a
0: brand new talk show segment, Ding Dong Hello, with Bailey guest Bianca Belair. Whoever came up with this idea is a genius. Okay? You deserve a major pat on the back. This is such good shit. It really was such good shit. Bailey was dressed up like Ellen or something and made Belair ring the doorbell and come through the door for attitude era wrestling fans. This was just like the APA yes. used to do for their like office. They, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same door painted white. Um, I love that it was a cool throwback memory to that for me. Was this cheesy? Yes. Was it ridiculous? Yes. But in the absolute best way, pure professional wrestling talk show, uh, Bailey as a talk show host, really smart. Like she's perfect for the role. She's totally found herself. You can feel the confidence. It's awesome. Uh, Bailey and Belair argued like they have been recently. And then Bailey challenged Belair to an obstacle course next week to determine the actual best athlete. Not only was the set and the concept funny, I like that they're able to feud and talk shit back and forth, but still coexist in the ring without coming to blows. Like if you tried to do that same segment with the people we're going to talk about next, Charlotte Flair and Lacey Evans, they would start fighting. Really any other duo, they're going to start fighting. But they have this really unique relationship where like Belair respects Bailey. Bailey knows Belair is bigger than, stronger than her. So they don't go after each other. But at the same time, they hate each other and they want to get at each other's throats. I fully expect this obstacle course next week to not be athletic. Like it could be something funny like, like I don't know. uh braiding hair or stitching or I don't really know what it's going to be, but I think it's going to play into Bailey since it's her idea more than it is Bel Air. I love this, Chris, and I'm really excited for next week.
1: You know, we, we've talked about how there are sometimes too many talk shows, especially in the Performance Center era, and they were using it to get around <laughs> from doing regular promos or interviews. But this was a great you know, if you're going to do a talk show, you got to really go into it. And so stuff like the door and, and the, the chair that sells me on it. It's a lot different than Miz and Morrison sitting on stools or whatever in or tall chairs in the ring and just talking. You, you make it something you got to lean into it being a talk show. And Bailey did that. And it was great. And like you said, the fact that they didn't go to blows, not every feud has to be a blood feud. You know, it it, it can just be a competition feud and considering these are two characters who are all about their confidence and pretending like that they don't lose their cool. They're above it. You know, they think they're, you know, cooler than the other person. It made sense for the way they played off of each other here. Bianca Belair's facial reactions to everything Bailey was saying was amazing. You could create a million memes out of those things. Uh, this was just a really fun, well done segment. And now I know Bailey is is going to uh, buy up all the turtlenecks it sounds like so. I hope they keep <laughs> this going. Um, it's fun. I hope they keep. I hope they keep it too. And I hope it's not yeah, weekly. Sure.
0: Like this should be a once a month segment. Like we get too many dirt sheets for a time. We were getting too many MVP lounges. This should be special, either when her character needs it or when you need it to push along another different type of storyline. But it was it was hysterical. Um, the, the the graphics, the the music. The, whoever is responsible. You nailed this. Congratulations. Awesome. Uh, On Raw, let's talk women. There's there's a lot more women segments to talk about. Uh, Charlotte Flair defeats Peyton Royce. Lacey Evans wouldn't let Ric Flair talk backstage and refuse to address their relationship other than to say she's learning from the dirtiest player in the game. She really talked Flair up and inflated his ego, which he sold well, considering Charlotte's been talking down to him for so long. Uh, Peyton Royce attacked Charlotte from behind before their match. Flair's music hit, and he walked in with Evans wearing his robe. Then they go to commercial break, they come back, and they're gone, which I didn't understand why they would do that. Uh, Flair got aggressive, took out a knee, locked in the figure eight for the submission win, then she kept it locked in after as a message to Evans. This was more storyline continuation than anything for me. I didn't find it particularly interesting. And it made no sense, like I said, that Flair and Evans came and then left. Charlotte cut a promo later basically saying Evans could never be Charlotte no matter how hard she tried, which I guess makes sense considering the similar looks and all that. But it's just weird that like this storyline exists and Asuka and um, Alexa Bliss exist almost in different universes despite them being tag team champions. And we'll talk about in a minute, actually we'll talk about next, why I think that was, Again, this one of the stupidest decisions that they ever made just to put a title on Charlotte Flair. But this proves that they should have nothing to do with the titles right now. Charlotte and Evans, the feud is totally fine, but there's no harm in that existing outside of a title picture. So just let it exist and let Charlotte do something else away from the title. So it's a fine feud. I don't think they added to it that much this week.
1: Yeah, it's I don't. Did you see I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago where Charlotte basically went on a little bit of a thing on Twitter about people who were complaining that she's kind of a, a champion or getting pushed or whatever. And, and he, yeah, so she basically said, you know, you know, when you're as good as me, you're going to be in a lot of championship storylines. You're going to have belts. But at the same time, I spent the rest of this year getting people over so basically you know it was kind of her responding to the idea that she used to be getting booked like Roman Reigns is getting booked and, and so I think that's kind of where I look at this feud and that is is it a weird feud with not a ton going on yeah but this is basically Charlotte in a mid-card feud you know it, it's this is not a Charlotte going for the championship feud so if you look at it in that context it's she's already champion that's 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 the problem that's that's what i'm gonna get into if you just look at it as this is just charlotte doing a kind of a side mid-card type feud on her own it's fine for what it is it's just weird that she's a tag team champion while she's doing this and considering what happened with oscar and bliss it just further highlights how completely unnecessary it was for them to put the tag team titles on them um because it because if charlotte didn't have a belt on her. I feel like there'd be a lot less heat kind of going her way over all of this. So yeah, it's it's the context of just the feud itself. It's fine. It's repetitive. You know, poor Peyton Royce is, you know, basically now just a lackey in, in someone else's feud. Uh, but the larger picture of why Charlotte is a champion while this is going on is is the part that's strange. And I I, I get it.
0: It's, it's really just ridiculous. Now, we'll stay with this. Uh, later in the show, Shayna Baszler defeated Mandy Rose one-on-one. So Baszler and Nia Jax argued backstage about who was carrying the other one in their team. Baszler dominated the match until she got distracted. Rose got aggressive as Baszler worked on her arm, and then she eventually tapped Rose out to the Kirafuda clutch. So Baszler and Jax then argued after the match. So Dana Brooke, from the ring apron, dropkicked Jax into Baszler, into the steel post, outside. So now the team that we thought was being built as the next women's tag team champions, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, before getting hurt, and I think one of them may have gotten COVID. I'm sorry if that's not accurate. I I forgot the exact thing that happened. They've now lost twice in as many weeks. Baszler and Jax later said they've never gotten along, even as champions. And they decided that their rematch for the titles that they're owed, even though, by the way, Chris, there's no rematch clause anymore they want their rematch for the Women's Tag Team Championships next week. I swear, if they just flip the titles back to them, that would be so hysterically bad and it would go to prove everything that everyone said about Charlotte, which is they brought her back and they just wanted to give her a title and they realized storyline-wise it made absolutely no sense so they take the titles right off them. My expectation is the faces are gonna win. But I mean, if they do that Women's Tag Team title match, I could easily see them doing that, flipping the titles back to Baszler and Jax and then doing the Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke storyline that we should have already gotten having the title switched. So I just don't know what they're doing. Look, Raw is really a convoluted booking mess. It's a terribly managed show. The storylines mostly are garbage or nonsensical. And I think this is just the paradigm of that. Everything that's happened, with the women's tag team titles recently.
1: Yeah. And you can tell for a few weeks now they haven't really known what they're doing with it. I I, I want to go back. So did Lana legit get injured? Cause I,
0: I, no, I, I thought I
1: saw that. on her Instagram or something somewhere that she had a, she had a boot on her ankle and maybe she was selling it for kayfabe. I thought, but it, but it was, I think she was se- I think she
0: was selling it, but I could totally be wrong. She was wearing a boot on it. Yeah,
1: yeah, th- yeah. Here yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. You know, it's a, it was on New Year's Eve. It says piss off 2020. Happy New Year. And it's her wearing an ankle boot. So if that's the or a, a leg boot, basically. So if I'll say this, if she did legitimately get injured and they had to write her off of that and decided to throw Charlotte in to replace her and that's why they did it. Okay but that you still didn't need to make them the champions. You should, you could have kept the t- titles on other people. Imagine if, sh- if Shannon and Nia still had the titles and they were feuding with the riot squad, they were feuding with um, uh, man, uh, the sexy muscle friends and they- they'd have their own stuff going on. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not the best, but it would make sense in the context of what they're doing. The whole women's tag team thing is a mess because you have two, you have a, group of tag team champions who are not tag team wrestlers and are largely not together ever. And it's just kind of hangs over kind of how ridiculous this all is. So, you know, I you know, you, you said if they switch the titles back next week, it would it would it would be bad and highlight the issues that they've had. Yeah, but it'll be moving them forward. So honestly I hope that's what happens.
0: Oh, I I hope they do it also. I want to clarify what you're saying. I agree. I want them to do it but it shows how bad and improperly booked this whole thing has yes. been. That they just wanted to give Charlotte a title, so they just go went ahead and did that. What they should have had is Charlotte lose that match for her yeah. team and had the heels retain yeah. the titles. All right, staying with the women, uh, Sasha Banks over on SmackDown confronted Carmella, who was talking shit and said she'd give her a title match as long as she first got to fight Reginald, one on one which i guess is happening next week on smackdown I-, I was fine with it uh i'm pissed still that the women's champion has basically been forgotten about on smackdown i mean i know they have the feud but sasha banks women's champion one of the most popular women in the company just not really on tv the last couple of weeks i think she's been on the show a total of 30 seconds combined put her in matches have her beat jobbers like just get her doing things she's your champion and she's been Ever since she's won the title and defended the title and finished the Bailey feud, she's almost just been relegated to like third tier behind Reigns and behind the Intercontinental title. I don't mind the IC title getting prestigious and Biggie getting time. But Sasha Banks is your most popular women's champion right now. I want to see her more.
1: Yeah, it's very weird. I I don't know if if uh Sasha's doing any other acting things that are taking up time. It doesn't seem though, because She's there largely, you know, at SmackDown, just not doing anything. The Carmella feud has just kind of not been not been interesting. Maybe, maybe the Reginald thing will be, be interesting. Um, we'll see. But yeah, it, it's weird. It's it's like I said, it's kind of like a third tier type of story. And this is why they always say, you know, the title doesn't make you. You make the title. And, and right now, just kind of what's going on with Sasha Banks. is just not all that interesting. There's not much really else to say. Now, when we talk about SmackDown
0: being better than Raw, even things like this make that the case. You had Natalia beat Liv Morgan in a singles match. And that doesn't sound that exciting, right? Especially because Liv Morgan lost, and on this show, we want Liv Morgan to win. But that was not what this entire segment was about. This entire segment was about Billy Kay, who came out to the Riot Squad entrance and was absolutely hysterical trying to look all punk rock. She had a plaid skirt, but it was more like school girl plaid skirt than like grunge plaid skirt. And she still had the red lipstick on while wearing chains and stuff all over her body. Morgan was good here in the match and got three pinning combination near falls. She did a really cool move, stomping on Natalia in the corner. Billy jumped off commentary to yell at the referee and Tamina who was there with Natalia Got angry. So Billy ran away from Tamina through the ring, interrupting Morgan, who got, yeah, you guessed it, rolled up by Natalia for the win. I guess I'm okay with the roll up here just because Billy was funny and it saved Morgan from suffering a loss while she's been on a roll recently, winning a lot of matches. It's just frustrating to see so many of them. But damn it, Billy Kay is hysterical. It really sucks they broke up the Iconics. Peyton Royce is kind of floundering over on Raw. But Billy Kay is making a name for herself on SmackDown. She is becoming basically the female R Truth, and that is not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I think that you kind of got to balance that line of being funny, but not becoming the butt of the joke every time. And and you know she's a obviously a very smart and and creative person, and and so you know, it's, it's been good. You know, this started a handful of pay-per-views ago where she was starting to hand out her resume. And I don't know how it got started, but man, she's making it work every single time she's out there. And, and you know, hopefully they have um, plans for her or where this will go, because we've seen, you know, you think of Damien Sandow doing funny skits and then it kind of stops and it goes nowhere. So, you know, hopefully they keep with it, keep with her, because clearly she continues to make you know, chicken salad out of chicken bleep or whatever you want to say shit. You can, say, we shit. can say shit, we say chicken shit. salad out shit. of chicken shit. Yeah. Um, the, the best shit. ones can do that. And and she clearly has shown an ability to keep doing that. Speaking of shit, the dirt sheet with Goldberg, uh, Ms. and John Morrison introduced
0: Goldberg and Gilberg instead came out doing his stick. I will admit the entrance seeing Gilberg, Dwayne Gill, <laughs> I, I pop, popped for Gilbert. Okay? That w- I, I popped for Gilbert. That was amazing. This is a guy, by the way, who had a heart attack not too long ago. So it's good to see that oh, he's good. healthy, that he got a paycheck from WWE. He's getting a little bit of work. That was all really nice just to be able to see him be able to do what he did on the screen. Then Drew McIntyre's music hits and a short kind of heavy guy comes out and did McIntyre's shtick. It was shocking to me. David Krumholtz. From Elf, the movie, from Harold Kumar. Kumar. Uh, he was on that HBO show, The Deuce, recently, and other comedies. I'm not 100% sure that it was him. I'm like 99.9% sure that this legitimate actor who has like a real IMDb resume. I do resume, not think that was him. I do. I think it was him. I'm pretty sure he was on Raw last night. Unfortunately, okay. wait, this whole wait, thing wait. It
1: was Wait, It was him. You're right.
0: I, I didn't it think him. it was
1: live. I saw people saying it. No, yeah, he posted it on Instagram. It really was him. Holy crap! Yeah. Oh, he did. He That's did. hysterical. This is, this is a re- like this guy's a real actor. Yeah. This is no
0: bullshit. And he just was the fake Drew McIntyre and made fun of himself. And his ass crack was showing. His big stomach was out. He's bald now. I just I couldn't believe that it was actually him. So even though that happened, and even though Gilbert was in this segment, unfortunately, this was a total piece of shit. It was unfunny. Miz said he'd win the title at Royal Rumble. McIntyre then later taped a promo saying, you know what? I'll pause on there. Let's just talk about this segment. We'll talk about McIntyre in a minute. Uh, I didn't find it funny, but I, did I pop for those two things? Yeah, I did. It was weird. Yeah. This is really you weird.
1: know, you know, here's what I'll here's what I'll say about the segment, and that is the the con the content itself, not great. Sure. I popped for Goldberg. thought it was funny as the actor. Maybe that maybe that's all you need. You know, it wasn't gonna advance the story any large way. I guess other, other than to say what Ms. is saying, and we'll get to that in a second. But I liked that this segment stood on its own and it didn't end with the face coming up and beating up the heel because we've seen so many times when someone will make fun of somebody that the face has to come out, chase them off and stand tall at the end. And the heel never gets to do their spoof, make fun of somebody, and it just gets to stand on its own and for some reason that just it stood out to me that it just it ended Miz, they did their bit and then that was it and and so you you could say they got the upper hand in the story or whatever i think that was important cuz i'm so used to you know the the face can never look stupid can never look bad and they always have to come out and do something so the fact that we didn't get that i kind of like that it just it stood out to me I'll agree with that, but that doesn't make the sense. No, no, no. It's just like, it's something. That's it, it,
0: there were there were three positives that we mentioned. Like Dwayne Gill, actually seeing David Crumholtz on Raw, and yes, the, the way that it ended without a face interfering or without you know an interruption. I agree, all those things are positives, but yet somehow, still with all of that, I thought it was a piece of garbage.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever. I, I thought Crumholtz was kind of funny. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I guess just I mean, like, what do you think they're trying to get across? I don't, I, I don't think they're trying to get across it. It's hilarious, drop dead funny, or incredibly insulting. It just wasn't. Just, I don't know. It just wasn't. It didn't do anything. I, for I, I giggled. Like, I guess I, I giggled during it, and maybe that's all it was supposed to do. I don't know. They're just really Miss and Morrison are really hit and miss. Yeah. Recently, they've yeah. been hitting, which
0: is good. But if I was categorizing between those two, for me, this I would say is a
1: miss. Well. Stay with Raw. We had a six man tag well, team actually, match. Per we'll, business before business. back to, that, I mean, d- is it notable? Do you think that it ended with Miz saying basically he's going to be in the mix here because he's Money in the Bank? He's kind of de- like like with the last one. He's declaring his intentions to kind of be involved in the match. I don't particularly think it's notable just because he's been
0: saying it for the last like three months, like uh, with the AJ Styles match and with this one. He he is not letting us forget that he is part of the mix, but and we'll talk about it because I did forget. I'm actually glad you stopped me because I did mean talk about Drew McIntyre before we moved on. Drew McIntyre caught, taped a promo later saying he's still asymptomatic from COVID-19, ready to go for the Royal Rumble and he'll be back on Raw next week. So we do know that we're getting Drew McIntyre and Goldberg, which we're not necessarily looking forward to, but yes, there is still, and we'll talk about it on the Ultimate Preview for the Royal Rumble next week. There is the Miz factor here where you could have something like Goldberg, Spear, McIntyre, Miz push Goldberg out of the ring and cover McIntyre for the one, two, three. But man, I just, I feel like taking the title off McIntyre and having either Goldberg or Miz be the one to do it, it just kind of sullies McIntyre to me a little bit. The strength and all the greatness that they've built up with him. For him to lose the title to one of those two guys, the, the, the right thing to do was for him to lose it to Orton. And have Orton go on a long run and have McIntyre do something else. But that's not yeah, what they
1: did. I, I, like when I talk about thinking what that segment was, was meant to do, to me it was largely to, at the end, establish that Miz is going to be floating around it. I don't think Miz will win the match. Maybe he'll get involved, take a spear or something. But um, I, I think that was notable coming out of it.
0: I would like that. If, if they want to kind of protect Goldberg in some way, Miz try to run in, Goldberg spears him then he's like discombobulated. McIntyre catches him with the claymore. Like, I would accept that. But I just don't want it to be a situation where McIntyre loses the title in this match, really in any way, to either Goldberg or Miz. I just, it, it's just not going to work for me. So we also had a six-man tag on Raw, Hurt Business defeating Riddle and Lucha House Party. Bobby Lashley stomped on Riddle's foot backstage, but the camera work was total crap. And you can see him stepping right on the floor. Like, I don't know why they couldn't have done yeah. that better. <laughs> in the match, Alexander wouldn't tag out and he ate a handstand cutter from Lindsay Dorado. MVP yelled at Alexander. Alexander yelled at Shelton Benjamin. Then he got shoved out of the ring. They argued all match long. Riddle got the hot tag and went on a roll against Benjamin. Grand Metalik got stopped cold by Benjamin. So Alexander tagged himself in. He yelled at Benjamin. So Lashley tagged himself in. Knocked Riddle off the ring apron, hit a spear and hurt lock on Gret. Grand Metalik for the win. Riddle caught Lashley with a shot to the face and ran away after the match as her business continued arguing. So I'm glad the Lashley-Riddle storyline isn't over. But again, just as with Big E, just as with the her business and New Day, I dislike that they had a title match already as they now prepare to have another one. Riddle needs to take the title off Lashley. And I hope it happens at the Royal Rumble. This was not a standout match for me. And it feels far too early for them to be teasing dissension of this level and a potential breakup of the Hurt Business.
1: Yeah, I think as it relates to Riddle and Lashley, my biggest issue is not always that they do a title match that later sets up another title match, but that these two guys continue to interact and wrestle with each other in the meantime. I, I don't want to see riddle versus Lashley, you know, before their title match, have riddle fight somebody else. And maybe Lashley interferes or something like that, or, or, or does something afterward. But like, I don't want to see these guys in a match to preview the match that we're going to get already. This is the problem with doing things week, week over and over and over. And this is probably the low, this is probably the low point of, um of, 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 one of the low points of the episode. So it's part of that issue of being too repetitive. I I think Riddle Lashley was good when we had the title match. I'm I'm fine with them getting a future title match, but I don't want to see them continue to wrestle leading up to that match. Exactly. Yep.
0: And it's just something that WWE repeats over and over. Now, to to their credit, to be fair, they have stayed away largely from six eight-man tag team matches for... The majority, I would say, of the last year of the pandemic, they've only really started doing them again recently. And the ones that they've done recently on both shows, Raw and SmackDown, have actually been good. This is the first one that we've had in a long time that was not good. Mm -hmm. It just didn't flow. It was all about the Hurt Business. And again, my issue with them is just, I understand that Alexander's getting an ego and that's the storyline they're going with. And I'm okay with that. But it just feels like it's happening way too soon. Like, they just won the titles. You can't split them up. If you split them up, they, these guys have nothing to do. Like they're up. not going to put a standard in, in, in a
1: United right. States championship feud. They're just not. It, it, it also doesn't need to happen every week. You know, we don't need to have <laughs> we don't need to be telegraphing this every single time. Maybe from time to time, Alexander gets a little too you know, high on himself. Not every single week, but, you know, th- they could do something where, you know, th- there were times when we thought the shield was going to break up, you know, multiple times and they got past it. So, yeah, I, I don't want them to break up the hurt business because I don't know what a lot of these guys are going to do. All of these guys in the hurt business are better for being in this faction. So please do not break them up anytime soon.
0: Literally all four of them are better. For being in the faction yes and
1: it's it's all of them long term
0: uh the street profits on smackdown they're staying confident angelo dawkins was wearing all black montez ford was dressed up and put over them being champions for 312 days saying they don't regret putting the titles on the line last week they cut a really good promo together i thought it was nice it was simple it was a way for the former champions to not get lost in the shuffle or not be down too much after losing the titles I'm just not exactly sure what they're going to do with them now going forward. Could they get a rematch? Sure, but it does feel like they need to move on without the titles for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they. I, I don't want to see them go right back into this. We've seen Dirty Dogs and and Street Profits so many times. So let's try something different, you know. And th- I think this was a s- step forward. Um, we just kind of got to see where it goes now.
0: Back on Raw, we had Mace defeat Xavier Woods one-on-one. Mustafa Ali cut a great promo on Kofi Kingston. It was originally on Twitter, but WWE actually cut a clip and put it on television. They did miss the best part of it where Ali said, I want to break you like you broke me. Hey, look, at least they took good social content for once and put it on TV. But I do suggest you head on over to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast where I did tweet the entire video. It's one of the newest tweets. So go and you can listen to it for yourself. And right before we taped the show, Kofi Kingston cut a promo from his house two minutes long and answered Mustafa Ali. Also great from Kofi.
1: So go listen to those at the end of this show. As uh, as- uh, well, one, one other thing. A lot of, like between that and between Talking Smack, a lot of these best promos are things that are outside of the normal WWE setup. You know, Mustafa Ali cuts that promo in the dugout. At the baseball stadium, we forget that they're at a baseball stadium. Use this entire environment to do interesting, fun, and in, in different things. You know, when Miz and Morrison got the briefcase back, they were sitting in a, a stairwell on, on the concourse. Like you have this whole stadium here, you can do other things. So, what well, part of that promo was just like, oh, he's kind of in a different spot than sitting in that back ring? You know, they have backstage where everything looks the same. It's it's a it's always been a big problem with WWE that were last several years and everything looks the exact same. Like I said, I didn't even realize when the Thunderdome moved from the Amway Center to Tropicana Field, but use your environment. And I think Mustafa Ali did a great job with that. It got a big reaction on Twitter and maybe that's why they put it on the show, um, which would be nice. So if, if it was, you know, good on him for good on them for trying something different and then and, and going with it. What they should actually do is they should have all
0: of retribution. Use one of those dugouts as like their area because yeah. they don't want to be in the locker room associating with other people. Sure. So therefore they just stay there. They're outcasts and you know so on and so forth. Like you're hundred percent right. It was different. It looked good. And I think one of the things that Raw and you're right, they did do it recently with um when the Miz got the Money in the Bank briefcase from Adam Pierce, but they've really stopped using a lot of the backstage different areas to kind of enhance the product. And for three hours I think the only time we really saw anything was gorilla position, which is generic. We saw Randy Orton in that performance center ring, but it was all dark, so you didn't really get it. And you saw Mustafa Ali on a taped promo from the dugout. But yes, you have all this stuff you can use. They need to start getting a little bit more creative in doing it. I totally agree. As far as the match goes, Mace dominated most of it. Woods socked Ali during the match. So he got pissed, used retribution to distract Woods. So Mace could actually kind of botch a tilting slam finisher for the win. I think Ali is pretty clearly setting up a program with Kingston. If they can end that, I know this is a big ask, all right? But if they can end that at WrestleMania in a singles match, it's a two-night show. So you have a lot of space on that card. You should. If they can get Ali versus Kingston at WrestleMania, Ali getting the WrestleMania opportunity that Kingston, quote unquote, cost him two years ago, I would be all the way in for that. I also just like the idea of them having a rivalry. Even if you just want something that's going to play out on Raw, having Ali and Kingston actually tell this story is pretty great. The segment mostly felt second rate, but if it does lead to that, then I'm going to be all in for it. Yep, same, agree. And lastly here, Jeff Hardy defeated Jackson Riker in singles competition. So they just ran this back from last week. Hardy hit a swinging neckbreaker and Elias knocked him off the top rope for a disqualification. Riker was mad Elias interfered, just like Elias was mad that Riker didn't interfere last week. Hardy then tried to go after them, but Riker caught him for a huge swinging slam. There was nothing really here, but clearly we're going to get this a third time. Um, I understand that sometimes you just need mid-card and low-card feuds to push things along. Elias being able to work with AJ Styles and now Jeff Hardy is actually good for him. But is this entertaining? No, it's not entertaining.
1: Yeah, it, I, my biggest issue is just it's it's we're just repeating it. You know, I, I'm fine with low card, mid card feuds. I just don't want to see it over and over. Do, you know, I, I don't know. That, that's my only thing. It's just, okay, we saw this again. We're going to see it again. There's not really much else to say about it. I'd
0: much rather Riker and Elias be a tag team and feud with another tag team, a sure. house party or something, just to kind of like, get them rolling in that direction because they do kind of work together. I have to say, as much as I may not like Jackson Riker personally, the partnership with Elias makes sense for both of their characters. I just don't really think it's going to go anywhere and using them as individual singles that are kind of just teamed up, I don't necessarily think that's the best use of them. But that was the week in WWE. The next time we talk about WWE on this show will be our Royal Rumble Ultimate preview next Tuesday, where we break down everything that happens on SmackDown and Raw, but we try to do it in context of the match card for the first WWE pay-per-view of 2021 and one of the company's biggest shows of the year, the Royal Rumble. So that is appointment listening. I hope you all make sure to tune in for that show. Between then and now on Thursday, I will be back to talk all things NXT and AEW in another which should be loaded episode. I do hope to have some interviews next week ahead of the Royal Rumble. I don't know whether we will or not, but I am efforting towards that end as we speak. Do not forget that you can follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast to keep up with episode releases, wrestling talk all week long. I do know, by the way, folks, and I will take some of the blame here. We have not heard this sound much on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And it's mostly my fault for two reasons. One, I have not been soliciting direct messages on the show, which I should be. And two, honestly, you guys have just kind of sent in some generic opinions recently that we talk about on the show anyway. So I'm now going to solicit. Folks, for the rest of this week, the rest of the year, every Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we want to hear from you. So do not forget that you can DM us at Getting Overcast on Twitter you can also tweet us there, or you can even email us if you want, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Send in questions for the show. Give us topics you want us to talk about. I will make sure your voices are heard on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And one other way you can make sure your voice is heard is by being a mark for the Silver King and this damn show. Stop
1: being marks for yourselves and go
0: back to being a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating, and review. Let people know how much you love this show. WrestleMania is coming up, WrestleMania 37. The road to WrestleMania is also the road to the one-year anniversary of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Chris, I can't even believe that we've almost been doing this show for one year when March comes. So we will have a one-year anniversary show for getting over. I don't actually know what's going to happen. In fact, I kind of just came up with it right now. But we will have a one-year anniversary show on the road to WrestleMania. WrestleMania week will be huge. I'll do as much as we possibly can. Um, Folks,
1: Chris, can can you believe it, man? A year. It still feels like March. I mean, the whole pandemic, it's always felt like March 2020. It's
0: it has been great, but this episode has not. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed the entire thing, so don't forget to follow us. Don't forget to drop the review. It's been a long show, so we'll give Randy Savage the day off. For Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, saying goodbye and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.